All right, uh, so I'm back. I'm going live uh, today. It's kind of a short notice. I had something else planned, but then uh, it fell through. So I thought I'd uh, pull this out. It's a little bit early ahead of what I uh, had planned, but we'll roll with it. So uh, the question today is about the free will uh, theodicy and if it is a good argument or not, or a good response to the problem of evil. So why this episode? Well, I'm, I'm gonna throw the atheists here a bone and talk about why I think the free will theodicy and arguments for God from libertarian freedom are just really, really bad. I just, I don't, I don't think they're good arguments. I don't think they're good. I know I'm gonna be kind of taking away the favorite toy of a lot of apologists and giving some, and they're gonna be like, why are you giving ammunition to the atheists? Well. Uh, because we should be intellectually honest and uh, deal with uh, the arguments that are coming from our own side. So uh, I have a lot of um, a lot of friends uh, in the YouTube community or in the you know Christian apologetics groups and all, all, all over the internet and, and everywhere um, who make this type of argument. Some people that I uh, you know think are are near and dear, um, very smart brothers and sisters um, who, who really love the Lord and are, and are really trying to. Um, who to answer objections to the faith, but I just don't think this is a very good one. So, uh, th and, and, and I'm going to go through a couple of reasons for that. I know this is the last moment. I don't know how many people will be popping in, if, if any at all, if there are any questions or anything. Um, but let me, let me go through some of the problems that, uh, that are here, um, with this type of, uh, with this type of response. And I'll tell you, uh, some of the reasons why I think that this is a bad way to go about trying to solve the problem of evil. First, is that uh, in order for the argument to go through, it seems to it seems to first be, need to be able to prove a kind of radical minority position within uh, the philosophical community, and that is that libertarian incompatibilism is true, and is the only logically possible view of freedom as a sufficient condition for moral responsibility. Because the argument is that that incompatibilism is true. That is that it relies on a principled objection uh, to the compatibility of any type of determinism with any type of moral responsibility. So uh, it can be, it's, it's, it's a principled position. It, 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 think it needs to be that they think that's the only possible position. So there are so many problems though with the libertarian view, with libertarian incompatibilism that I don't necessarily want to delve into too much here. I'm going to list some out, but I'm not going to develop these uh, all right now. Um, but I want to I want to go through some of some of these um, because I don't think that they're really addressed that much by Christian apologists who use the libertarian um, uh, freedom a, as a type of theodicy. So I'm going to talk a little bit about these, um, but I have developed them elsewhere. Other people have developed these elsewhere. None of this is new or original to me. Um, so there's lots of literature on this. Um, and I think that if someone is going to use the libertarian incompatibilist uh, position uh, as, as an argument or a theodicy, they should be able to deal with some of these things. So first one is that there are, there are biblical problems with libertarianism where it seems to contradict some clear biblical examples of an act being both determined and the agents being morally responsible which would be a compatibilist form of, of, uh, of freedom, right? It says that something is determined and we're responsible. You know, <laughs> uh, Bob's your uncle, that's compatibilism. So all we really need is just one example of an action being both determined and the agents being morally responsible 
for any and all incompatibilistic views to be defeated since they are predicated on a principled objection to the idea that determinism of any kind is compatible with moral responsibility of any kind. That is, they claim that in principle, every form, every kind of determinism with regard to human action is in principle incompatible with moral responsibility. Hence, incompatibilism. That's why it's called that. So if we can show even a single case in the Bible where something is both determined by God and the agents are responsible and, and praise or blameworthy for their actions, then incompatibilism is biblically false, right? So, and I can give a couple a couple of examples. Uh, one of those, one, one is just the inspiration of scripture itself. Unless someone wants to affirm a kind of hard dictation view where, where the, the only author of scripture is God alone and the human, the human agents are just like his pencil. They have no, they have, they have, the, you know, they're not, they're not praiseworthy for their input <laughs> into the scripture. Uh, or they want to deny any meaningful concept of inspiration uh, where, where the Christian uh, affirms that God has, spe has specifically determined the content of his own unique word such that it's his word. It's not inspiration in the sense that, you know, a beautiful sunset inspires me to write something, but that is that it is his word, right? So if you, if, if, if most, you know, most apologists here are going to be uh, or hold to some type uh, of, of, of verbal plenary inspiration, then in that case, for example, the author, you know, unless they, you know, they have to say like the author of the letter to Hebrews, most of us would say is praiseworthy for his masterful grasp and use of the Greek language, right? So we wouldn't, we wouldn't actually affirm a dictation view, right? Because we have all of these different styles. So, so most of us who hold a robust view of inspiration are going to say that the authors uh, did have some input in it. They are, they, they are, they are praiseworthy uh, for some of the different features that we see in the scripture. Um, but God has determined <laughs> the content of his own unique word. So, so we have this example of God determining in, in inspiration and the authors being praiseworthy uh, for their, for example, for the author, the, the letter to the Hebrews uh, for his masterful graph of the use of the Greek language in that text. Paul, Paul, for example, uses the first person pronoun. Luke in Acts uses the, the, the first person plural pronoun. He's speaking for himself, right? But that's God's specific word. It is, it is the content is determined by God as his own specific word. So is it true? So when 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 Paul writes I, is 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 Paul saying I or is God saying I? Well, if compatibilism is true, you can have both of those things. They can they can supervene on each other. That's fine. Uh, if libertarianism is true, you cannot have that type of thing where God has determined that Paul would say I and Paul freely says I. So you 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 just have you have some of those problems when it comes down to inspiration. Now, a second example uh, would be that Acts tells us specifically that the crucifixion of Jesus was by that is it was by it was brought about by the definite 
plan and foreknowledge of God. The definite plan there is pro is that it was it was a rizzo. It was ordained. It was that God had ordained this to happen. Not just that he allowed it or that he worked through it, but he or he is the one who was ordaining it. He's the one that drew up the plan. A rizzo is the term back in the Greek where they would actually mark out the boundaries of property. And in by marking out the boundaries of that property, they would determine that that was the specific property. So they would be the one determining, decreeing, deciding that this is what that property is. They would draw up its nature, right? Scott orizoing that, he is, he is ordaining that, uh, not just that other people are ordaining it and he can work that to his good because, you know, he can establish a church on that land or something. No, he, he is the one who drew it up. But it also tells us that the Jewish leaders and Pilate were morally responsible, right? So we have, we have an example of God's definite plan ordaining and, and determining what comes to pass and the people responsible and people involved being responsible. There, there are dozens of other explicit examples that could be given uh, in the New Testament. So you have biblical problems with this view. There's theological problems with this view. I don't want to get too technical. I, I've written on this all, all over the place. I have episodes on this uh, on the podcast. Um, but, uh, but, but I have a ton of stuff in this, but there's theological problems where, where libertarian freedom seems to undermine God's omniscience. Since if I could choose X or not X in the actual world on libertarian freedom, I have to have those meaningful, um, the, the, those meaningful as viable real options for me where I really, I don't just have the capacity to choose those two things, right? Libertarianism, you know, compatibilism doesn't deny that, you know, we have capacities to, to choose uh, X or not X. It's not like, um, it's not like, you know, I, I can pick up my phone or not pick up my phone, but compatibilism means like, oh, your arm only has the capacity or the, or the faculty to pick up one thing. No, I mean, we, determinism doesn't deny you have those capacities. It denies that those are viable metaphysical possibilities. But the libertarian wants to say, well, no, those are viable metaphysical possibilities. You really could choose to do otherwise in the actual world in order for you to be sufficiently free. But one of those decisions to pick up my phone or not pick up my phone, X or not X, just is a contradiction to what God knows that I will do in the actual world. That is one of those is analytically identical with the falsification of the knowledge of God. So that just logically entails that it would be a real and viable possibility to falsify the knowledge of God. That is, if it's a real and viable possibility, if God knows that I will do X, but I have a real and viable possibility to do not X, but not X is synthetically identical with the falsification of the knowledge of God, that means that I have a real and viable possibility to falsify the knowledge of God. Right? That, that, just, that just deductively follows. So if God's knowledge could be falsified, then that would just be something that God couldn't know. God couldn't know where his beliefs were wrong. We don't know I'm wrong about X. Otherwise, we would know that not X was true. So God can't actually know where his beliefs would be wrong. So he would never know that his beliefs were actually true to the real world, to the actual world he's created, until he observes that choice that, that I choose in line with what he believed I would do. So even if God ends up being right 100% of the time, right, such that, such that his, his, his knowledge is never wrong, his beliefs are never falsified, 
it still is the case that he would learn that his beliefs were right because he couldn't know which ones were right and if any of them would end up being wrong. And so he'd be learning every time we chose in line with his beliefs, he would be learning that those were true. Now he may have something like warranted true belief. So he may have knowledge in that kind of softer human sense of the term. But typically when we're talking about God's omniscience, we don't mean that type of, he has warrant, he could be wrong, but not right. That's usually not what we mean by omniscience. So if you wanna downgrade God's omniscience to something like just having warranted true belief that end up being true and he finds out that they're true, well, then the open theist would, open theism would be true. The open theist would be right. And the open theist might love that. They, they, they probably love this argument. But I think that most apologists um, would rather rethink free will than to deny the, 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 the classic and orthodox understanding of the omniscience of God, or at least I hope so. Um, and there are lots of other arguments. There's rollback arguments and, and, and on and on. And again, I've, I've written and talked a lot about um, some of these reasons why we should object uh, to, to libertarian freedom. And again, here, all I'm doing, I'm not saying all these are, you know, therefore libertarian freedom is false. All that I'm saying is that the libertarian cannot simply help themselves to libertarianism as an argument, as if it's uncontroversially true. Right. A lot of times that will happen. Well, they'll just be like, well, you know, don't you believe we have freedom? Well, then, and then at that point, they'll equivocate to libertarian freedom because they're just begging the question that libertarianism is the only kind of freedom that's possible, <laughs> right? So the atheist who, who might come along and say, yeah, I, I think that we're free and, that we, and, that, and that's the control condition for, for more responsibility. The apologists often will, what they'll want to do, and if the atheist isn't kind of, or even the other, other Christians aren't adept enough, they won't catch the equivocation where they say, okay, but you know, God, you know, God is necessary for a libertarian uh, freedom to be true because they're equivocating that free will to be free just is to be libertarianly free, that that is the only kind of meaningful freedom that is sufficient for moral responsibility. So that equivocation happens, but they need to demonstrate that that's the case in the face of or in the teeth of all of these types of objections. Another way they'll try to, they'll try to establish it and I hear my friends say this all the time. And I'm not going to call you out by name, but you know who you are. But again, if you don't do this, if the you know, uh, it, you know, if if she doesn't fit, if you don't do this, that's fine. But you know who you are. You know who do you do this? Is that is that they'll say something like, um, "Libertarian freedom is just the folk view," right? So if you want to talk about something else, I mean, then you then you need to prove that something else is true because libertarian freedom is just the folk view of freedom, right? Okay. I'm looking at you in the eye, you know, again, you know who you are. That's just not true. We know that it's not true. Study after study after study and meta studies and so on and so forth have shown that the folk view of freedom is, are you ready for it? It's complicated. It's kind of a, it's kind of a myth to say that there is a folk view of freedom because within the same groups it's complicated and a lot of times our folk intuitions contradict other folk intuitions that we have the same participants in these studies will have in other instances and the reason for that is 
is that is that we're just all over the map because it, the, the reason why we're all over the map and that we can contradict ourselves in our own folk intuitions uh, is because it really depends on what questions are asked and how they're asked and if they're asked abstractly or concretely and what scenarios are given and how those scenarios are presented and so on and so forth. The, the general trend seems to be if you do want to come up with a unified folk view, the closest thing is actually something like compatibilism because even when people affirm in the abstract questions, because in the abstract questions, people tend to be more towards the libertarian side in the con when they're, when they're given concrete examples, they're almost always in the side of the compatibilist or the determinist. Uh, but even in those cases where they start to flesh out what they actually mean by the libertarian uh, view of freedom as the folk view, even when they affirm that, what they seem to really mean when they're pushed with concrete examples is that they're free so long as they're not forced against their will or contrary to their will, or that they're, they're not forced to do something that they wouldn't have normally wanted to do sans that force which is not the categorical or contracausal ability to do otherwise, that's the conditional ability to do otherwise, which is entirely consistent with compatibilism. So uh, it, it, it's, it's just not the case that libertarian freedom is the folk view. I'm sorry, please stop saying it. It's not true. It's, it, it's, it's just... It's just not true. Stop saying it's the everyday, common, majority, folk view, whatever it is. It's just not true. And we know that it's not true. And so every time you say something like that, you just look bad. Um, okay. So that 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 is my first that's my first objection that they have this big, they have this big burden before that, before their argument, their theodicy from, from freedom goes through to demonstrate that libertarian freedom actually is the type of freedom because remember this is the free will theodicy not necessarily the free will defense the free will defense is, is actually i think a valid argument against um uh, a logical problem evil free freedom sufficient for moral responsibility just has to be logically possible um in such a way that it's good but that doesn't actually entail uh, libertarian freedom the free will theodicy is going to rely on libertarian freedom so i'm talking about the use of it as a theodicy uh, so my second objection, uh, so, sorry, so wrapping up, my first objection again is just that they have that big burden to bear and they can't beg the question or special special plead the case that libertarian freedom is, uh, it just is what, what how we're free. They have to demonstrate that, which is, an, which is just a colossal burden. And I never see them bear it. I normally just see them start out with, well, libertarian is, is, the, is the case that we're, don't you think we're free? Great, then we're libertarianly free. Sorry, you just you just skipped about a hundred steps that you would need to do in that argument. Uh, so um, that that's the first problem. The second arg problem, this is somewhat of a more of a practical ministry problem, um, and it may not be the case again for all libertarians, but it is the case for some in how they present the argument. Um, and that is that that type of use of, of libertarianism can actually be harmful. Um, to uh, to Christian life and practice. The reason for that is that even if even if someone thinks libertarian incompatibilism is more likely than tr the, the true than not, that's fine. But if you make it something that if it's false, then Christianity is false. 
then you're actually doing the same thing to Christianity that the anti-evolutionists of the mid to late 20th century did, where they trained so many people to think that it was either Christianity or evolution. And, 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 and really, it was either a kind of literalistic young earth creation science stylized version of, 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 uh, of Christianity um, or evolution. And so when people start to doubt that young earth creationism, or in this case, libertarian freedom, then they'll either fall away from the faith or they're going to really have major struggles in, in reconciling those two things, right? Because they haven't been trained that there's all these other options that are available to the Christian and that's fine. Um, because, because what's being presented to them is that, that in order to be, a, you know, a consistent Christian or a true Christian or whatever it is, uh, if, you know, libertarianism has to be true. And if it's not true, you know, then atheism follows, right? If it's not true, then, then it's just materialistic determinism all the way down. And so atheism follows from that. So please, please, please stop presenting it that way. Again, you know, not, not everyone does that. But that does that. That is how it's presented uh, a lot of the times, um, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Just please be aware of that uh, as you're going. And uh, and I'd ask those who are, are want to push back on that and be like, well, it just is the you know that's true though that if that if libertarianism is is false, then it really is kind of materialistic, you know, causal determinism, hard determinism all the way down, um, and and therefore Christianity would be false, whatever, whatever. Do you really think that if you were convinced that libertarian freedom was false, that you'd you'd stop believing that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, buried, and raised for you? I mean, I, I mean, I really hope not. I mean, I, I, I really hope that your, that your faith and your relationship uh, with, with Jesus Christ as your savior is, is on much more solid ground than on the really bad philosophical case for libertarian freedom. If that's the case, your face on really shaky ground. So, um, so, but, but again, just, just, just think about your argument and and what is entailed uh, by when by when you argue um, that way, because it could really be doing damage um, to to some people's uh, to some people's faith. So, uh, okay, the 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 last I think this is the last category of, of of big objections I have, and there's a couple sub objections that that fall into this. Uh, remember, while while you're listening to this, if you have any questions or comments, um, the, the the live chat is going. I will get to those questions at the end of this. Um, I see uh, uh, Travis and Atomic in there uh, making a couple comments. I'll get to those uh, comments in a, a little bit. Um, please uh, add, add your comments uh, if you if you like this. Uh, click the subscribe button below if you want to see more content. Um, you can you can subscribe to that or you can become a donor uh, at the uh, Freedthinker uh, blog, freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com, or by following us on Patreon. Although not always the best at putting my stuff there, <laughs> uh, but you can do that there as well. Okay, the third problem that I have with the free will theodicy um, is that the argument and the oft-repeated supporting justifications just aren't good. Um, they're just not good arguments and justification, and they're pretty easily defeated. So, okay, there's a couple of reasons for this. Um, free will, libertarian free will as a theodicy seems to make it that God cannot uphold the freedom of all persons. Right? So, so think of a mugger and their victim both, uh, who both make free will decisions. Right? The mugger wants to freely choose to mug someone. The victim wants to freely choose to try to get away. Right? Is the outcome of the mugging explainable by God upholding the freedom of the will? 
right? Because remember, we're trying to give a theodicy. We're trying to answer the problem of evil. The problem of evil is not why do people choose to do evil? It's why is there actual evil in the world? That's going to be an important nuance to remember when we're when we're going through this. So, so is the mugging explainable simply by God trying to to uphold the freedom? No, because why would God not uphold the freedom of the victim over the mugger, if that was the case? The problem of evil and suffering are not about why people choose evil, but why is it so often that the, the powerful prevail in their evil over the weak? Why is it that, that people actually suffer evils. And here I'm not even going to get into natural evils. I'm only talking about moral evils because that's the type of evil that typically free will is trying to be a theodicy for. So let's let's be fair to the free will theodicy. It's not trying to explain um, you know animal suffering that won't directly impact you know humans that happened, you know, a million years ago or whatever. Um, the free will theodicy is trying to explain these type of moral evils, these kind of gross sin types of evils, right? So why is it that that type of evil happens? It's not because God is trying to protect or uphold someone's free choice, right? The problem of evil is actually not even addressed. People are, people are not going to like this. The problem of evil, the problem of real evil in the actual world is not even addressed by the question of freedom. Right? The question of freedom is about a mile upstream. Is freedom in, important to understand why there ends up being actual evil in the world? Yes, people people choose evil. I'm a compatibilist. I'm not a I'm not a you know a hard determinist. I'm not a deterministic incompatibilist. I think that we have a type of freedom that's sufficient for moral responsibility, and we choose evil things, not in the libertarian sense. Yes, that explains why people choose to do evil in the actual world, but that doesn't actually answer the problem. Okay, in the philosophy of action, philosophy of action is the, is the field of philosophy where the free will question comes up. In the philosophy of action, there's a difference between freedom of the will, freedom of choice, and the power of outcome or of action. Those are two different things. Free will choices are a type of action, right? It, it, is, it is an event in the actual world where I choose to pick up my phone, but it's also an action in the, in the real world when I actually pick up my phone. So my choosing is an action, but the outcome of my choice being realized in the actual world is an action. And the problem of evil is getting at that second one. Why is it that there is evil outcomes, evil actions? People are actually suffering in the real world. And, and, and the reason why this, this is a problem for the free wealthy odyssey is because God could completely uphold every single free will choice of every single person ever, but still prevent us from achieving evil ends, right? Think of the mugger. So, so, so that is God, God could, God could uphold all, all our free will, our choice, our choosing actions, but he could prevent the actualizing, the outcome, the me actually picking up my phone actions. Right? So again, think of the mugger. God could make it a natural law, right? Thus avoid, I'm trying to avoid that kind of randomness. Well, if God always intervened, then, you know, experience would be entirely random and 
we couldn't know what's going on. We couldn't have any rationality because we couldn't make inference, whatever. But God could make, could make it a natural law that anytime someone tries to violently rob someone else, that the robber's muscles would all freeze as a result of the ethical feedback from the brain, right? And the police would get there and, and arrest them. And, and thus, no one would ever get mugged, even though the mugger chose to mug someone and the outcome was that they froze. Okay, uh, it, it could be it could be a natural law that any bullet fired from a gun that would hit an innocent person either intentionally or as a bystander, right, to take their life or to harm them, would turn into a marshmallow on impact. It could just be the case that every time that happened, those bullets would never enter a human body; it would just turn into a marshmallow, right? That would just become a natural, you know, a, a cause and effect natural law. We would be able to predict that with regularity. No one would ever be able to shoot someone ever again, even if they tried to chose to try to shoot someone. Their, their free will decisions would still be upheld even though the consequence of that decision, because my free will decision isn't in charge of what actually happens. Once the, once, once the trigger's pulled, what happens in the mechanism of that, of that gun? I mean, the gun could jam, the gun could misfire. The gun, and there's all kinds of things that could happen. I've made my sinful choice. The outcome can be prevented. Right. So so God could actually uphold all of our freedom, but still stop the action. So it is simply not the case uh, that that God that there's no possible world where God could have created um, where where uh, we're giving libertarian freedom. You wouldn't have evil and suffering. That just is not the case. Right. So that that just fails. Right. Another another attempt that they'll try to bolster is that libertarian freedom is necessary for either um, true goodness or true love or something like that. Um, this has a problem of just having clear exceptions to it. Right. Uh, is it the case that uh, that God needed to make us libertarianly free so that he could have creatures who would truly love him and that he could be in a true love relationship? Or who would who would choose the good at the risk of choosing uh, the bad? Right? Does true love only come at the risk of true hate? Right? We have clear examples to the contrary. No, God the Father eternally and perfectly loves God the Son and is by nature love. The Father has no contracausal ability, no categorical ability to choose otherwise. The Father cannot; they have no ability to do otherwise. That is not an eidetic possibility for them. So does that mean that the father and the son are not in a truly loving relationship? Obviously not. That would just be dumb, right? So, so it's just not the case from the Christian worldview that that uh, that that libertarian freedom is necessary for true love to happen. I mean, I would actually argue that God doesn't actually have libertarian freedom. He doesn't have compatibilistic freedom because there's nothing outside God determining him. God has, I would just call it, define divine freedom. It just is the, the compatibilist portion of freedom uh, that, that's sufficient for, for moral responsibility and for righteousness. There's just nothing, there's just nothing that's determined that it's compatible with, but it, it, it's not actually a libertarian type of freedom. There, God does not have the contracausability to choose otherwise in that type of moral sense, in that type of moral, because here in these questions, we're talking not about just like I mean, we do talk sometimes about ability to pick up phones, but we're talking about morally significant freedom here. We're talking about the, the, the type of freedom that, that we praise God for being righteous for, right? In that case, God doesn't have the morally significant freedom to do evil. It's just not the case. 
right? Um, so th there, there are other problems that, that come about with that. Um, again, we, you can think of some, some examples where, um, you know, two people have been married or in a relationship for so long where one person says, you know what, I love you so much. I couldn't even, I can't even fathom or cannot even think of choosing somebody else over you. What a weird answer it would be if their partner was like, well, then you don't truly love me, right? In order for you to truly love me, you have to have this control causal ability uh, and choice to choose someone else besides, like, you, like the, if, if you're saying that you couldn't choose someone else over me, well, well, then you don't really love me. What a weird response that would be, right? So, so even in in the human world, it just doesn't follow um, that that type of thing. We actually think that the closer we draw in love to people, the less choice we have to choose other than them. So, um, so that, that, that is another reason um, why that, that type of, uh, of thing fails. Um, now, some, some would argue um, that, we, that we need libertarian freedom on earth to kind of cross the barrier into heaven, but that once we get in heaven, we kind of, you know, we kind of, it's like, it's almost like the, the taxi cab fallacy where, you know, you use libertarian freedom to get into heaven and then you dismiss the libertarian freedom taxi cab and there you are, you have no more libertarian freedom. Well, think about what that does, right? If you say we need libertarian freedom to cross the line into heaven to get into a perfect loving relationship with God, but we don't need it to actually be in the loving and perfect relationship with God. There's there's two problems that I see with this. The first one is problem one that this this just flies in the face of the biblical witness that we are more free in Christ, not less free. I mean, it would be so weird and so utterly antithetical to the biblical witness to say that we're more free in our fallen natures here on earth while we're sinning than in our glorified natures in the eternal state in a perfect loving relationship with God, right? What a, what a weird backwards uh, view that would be that I, I just, I can't see how any Christian would ever affirm that. Um, problem number two with this is that if we're not free, libertarianly free to love in heaven, and we revert back to a robot-like state, remember, I, I'm, I'm doing an internal critique of, of, of the libertarian here and the, and the libertarian incompatibilist thinks that we that, that that if we aren't libertarianly free, then we're somehow analogous to robots or puppets or, or uh, you know, all those types of things. Those are the objections they use against determinism and compatibilism. So remember, they, they think that if you that if you don't have libertarian freedom, you are something like in a robot state. So if in heaven we revert to some type of robot like state, and they think that that means that we can't have true love or true goodness, then how is it that in heaven we're in a perfectly loving relationship with God? How is it that God even loves us, right? If, if he's willing if He's willing to love robot-like beings in heaven, why not just start with robot-like beings and avoid all the evil and suffering anyways? So there, there's all kinds of reasons why those those are those arguments just they just they just don't hold water. They just don't work. Um, and and I'm not even giving I'm not I'm not assuming atheism to object these. I'm saying from within the Christian worldview, from within within sensitivity to, to the biblical narrative and the you know biblical text and biblical theology, they don't work. As Christians, we should think that they don't work. Okay. Uh, and, and the final one is that libertarians. They, they need to give, at the end of the day, they need to give and always do, it always comes down to this. If you listen to any libertarian uh, debate on this, it always, 
devolve. I don't, I can't think of one where it has, I, I can't think of one where they just appeal to libertarian freedom and the conversation stops there and they think that's sufficient to explain the evil and the suffering that's actualized in the real world. No, what do they do? It always very, very, very quickly jumps from that into discussions about God's morally sufficient reasons for why there's evil that's actualized in his good creation in his good creation as an explanation uh, that is they'll appear for his his glory for the salvation of souls for soul building for the maximization of good or mi the minimization of the evil right so so think of any problem of evil right think of think of any instance of suffering right so think of the the I'm not gonna say the R word because I don't want all the you know the the YouTube um, algorithms to flag me think of the murder of a child why would God allow that to happen? Well, the apologists say, well, you know, God wanted morally significant angel agents and he wanted true love and to do that. You have to have free will. Okay. So then he protects the free will of the murderer and not the child who doesn't choose to be murdered. And the apologists, well, in a fallen world where there's power imbalances that, that God will eventually set right. Sometimes, you know, freedom is abused and that happens. Okay. But then God, couldn't God just have stopped the child from being murdered? Couldn't he have just intervened and, and, and stopped the child from being murdered? Why did he have to allow the outcome to happen? And then the apologists say, well, it may be the case, and this is where they come in, it may be the case that the murder of the child is, is a component of the best feasible world that God could actualize, right? That 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 for some reason in, in, in the best feasible world that God could actualize that he wanted to bring about, that that this just is a, either, you know, if you're if you're like a Kirk McGregor type uh, of Molinist, this could just be a kind of a, an unintentional outcome. It could be a truly gratuitous evil, or you could be like, you know, most other Molinists and libertarians and say, well, well, I mean, uh, it, it, that, that God is working some type of good out of that, that it brings about some other things that brings about some uh, other uh, the, the 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 majority of the good or that it bring you know that item will bring about it's not good in itself but it brings about a bunch of other goods or that in allowing it it prevents a dozen of other even worse evils to happen and so they go into all these morally sufficient reasons now whatever you think about if those are good or bad or if they work or not the point is that libertarian freedom didn't end up being the true answer right because just to get around the problems for that they had to go into some type of morally sufficient reason type of theodicy. So why start with this heavily freighted, probably false view of libertarian freedom anyways as a theodicy? Why not just go into the, these other morally sufficient reason types of theodicies? What does, what does appealing to libertarian freedom do for the theodicy? And I'm just going to say nothing. So, um, okay. So I have a lot more reasons for why I think free will is, is just a terrible attempt uh, for us Christians to try to use as a theodicy that I've discussed again on other podcast episodes and the blog posts. Uh, so if you want to head over to the blog um, or, or, or to see those, you can check those out. But I think I've given you enough meat here for you to chew on, right? How, how, how long am I at here? Uh, you know, I've been going for, I don't know. I don't know where the timer is, you know, call it, call it, let's call it 45 minutes, 30 minutes, something like that. I don't know. Uh, 38 minutes. Um, you know, I, I think I've given enough chew, enough meat to chew on for people to do, you know, four hour response videos to, um, if, if they choose to, if they, if they ever see this again, you know who you are. Um, but, but my point here is that I, I just don't think that those are, are really good or useful answers. They, they open us up to very, very easy criticisms. And honestly, just in the pursuit of truth, you know, some people are, gonna, are, are not going to be happy again that I'm kind of taking away the favorite toy of some apologists. 
and and they'll they'll wonder you know why why I'm throwing a bone to the atheists, which I'm really not. Uh, I'm just interested in truth uh, and, and and what's true and 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 what is uh, you know what is what are what are good arguments, what are sound arguments, and I just don't think that those are good ones. All right, so um, with that, I'm going to go over now to the to the chat. Let's see um, some of uh, some of these questions here that are happening in the chat live chat. Um, Atomic Apologetics asked, Tyler, I was recently told in the Irresistible Truth group, uh, shout out to uh, Derek and those over there at that group, it's a fun group, um, that I have a wrong view of the Great Commission, that it's a commandment, but Calvinists see it only as that without having compassion, true or false. I'm not sure I, I, I totally understand the question. Um, are, you, are you saying that um, some Calvinists are going to say, oh, well, 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 you know, we only evangelize not because we care for the lost, but we, we do it simply out of brute obligation because God has commanded us to do it, but we don't actually think it matters. Um, I would say we do it out of care and concern for the lost. So we understand that God works through God works through means um, and the means of the proclaiming the gospel and being kind and loving and caring, and compassionate to those uh, who are lost. Uh, and and need to be shown the 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 you know our small graces as as simple you know foretastes of the graces the great uh, the great graces that God has in store for for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Um, so so if 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 what you're saying is the person is saying that that the Calvinists only believe that the Great Commission we only we only evangelize out of brute obligation even though we think that our actions don't matter, yeah, I would say that that person is false and just. Um, they don't understand uh, compatibilism that we make morally significant uh, choices um, that that are impactful um, to to real life. Um, all right, uh, another one from uh, Atomic Apologetics again. Uh, I'll, I'll answer some of these about uh, Calvinism, uh, but well, you know, I, I would love to talk about the the theodicy. Would it be accurate for Calvinists to say the only free will we don't have? was our salvation. Um, I don't actually, the, I mean, the question's hard because I don't actually deny that we have free will. I deny that we have libertarian incompatibilist or any type of incompatibilist concept of free will. I don't deny that we have significant freedom for moral responsibility. Um, so, mm, I, I mean, I just, I just don't deny that we have, we have freedom in any of our actions unless we are being genuinely manipulated <laughs> or, or, or controlled or something along those lines where, where our, our freedom is being violated in those cases. Um, all right. Uh, and then Atomic Apologetics, subscribe. Thank you for that. I saw that pop up after I, uh, I said, again, if, you, if you're not a subscriber, uh, subscribe to the link below. How have you not been, how have you been friends this long and you've not been subscribed? Man, I'm mad at you, brother. Um, just kidding. I love you. Um, all right. So, um, what's uh, what's your view of a soul-building theodicy that has a free will component to it, similar to a training program um, from God that being exposed to the greatest evil we can face? Um, uh, here, I, I mean, I think soul-building uh, may be one of the reasons, maybe one of the goods that God brings about. Um, and as a compatibilist, I, I, I think that um, our, our free will decisions and, and the outcomes uh, of those and the, and the natural consequences or the sinful consequences or even, you know, the judicial consequences from God that God brings into our life um, are, are learning experiences that are soul building uh, to us. And so I think I think there is a certain degree um, that that we learn about 
um, and we can be we can better glorify God for his justice and his righteousness and his mercy and his grace, none of those would be meaningful concepts um, if it wasn't for my own personal sin and, and evil. I wouldn't know of how amazing God's grace is for me if I didn't know how deeply uh, sinful um, I, I am apart from him, right? So I, how, how would it be? How would we ever, as I, I don't even, I, 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 I'm not asking rhetorically. I mean, if someone has an answer for this, I don't know what it means that we would be able to love and glorify God as being righteous or just or true or um, merciful or gracious or any of those really superlative attributes uh, of of God. I don't I don't even know what it means that we would be able to worship him and love him and adore those attributes of him if we didn't have the contraries. Um, I, I don't know what it would mean for me to uh, adore the grace of God if there was no need for God to be gracious in creation. So uh, I think soul building is absolutely, um, it, it, maybe not absolutely, is, is, is most likely one of uh, the things that God does, but I think it's actually uh, it may be a a kind of um, a kind of proximate good that brings about to the ultimate good, which is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Um, Travis followed up. We'll be prepared to live with a being like God in eternity with free will. Amen. I, I again, I don't deny freedom. Um, if if by freedom you mean libertarian freedom, then I don't think so. But if you mean freedom sufficient for moral responsibility, for praise and blameworthiness, then absolutely, I 100% I agree with you. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, RC Apologist, I find Gordon Clark's criticism to be very interesting regarding the free will theodicy, though I'd argue for a tri-perspectival defense, as John Frame argues. Uh, I'm not a Clarkian. Uh, I, I, you know, Clark did have some helpful insights. Um, I, you know, I... I I just have lots of problems with Clark on other things. So he's usually not to my go-to. I find other people say what he said better and stronger and more consistent with my own reformed understanding of, of biblical Christianity. Um, so I would agree that frame uh, in his tri in his perspectival defenses and, and really, because uh, fr frame frame loves uh, tri perspectival things and, and, and <laughs> diagrams of three circles and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he largely got that from Van Til. Um, but I, but I, I lean more towards, you know, I, I, for those of you who know, I'm a presuppositionalist. I, I probably lean towards more uh, a Framian type of presuppositionalism, uh, although I, you know, I try to keep my foot pretty, pretty planted in a kind of a, a Bonson, Bonson Vantillian uh, type way. Although us Framians are going to say we are, we are genuinely Vantillian too. So uh, whatever. Uh, Reveal Apologetics. Eli, what's up, man? Uh, I'm glad you can make it. I know you're a busy guy on Sundays with, uh, with family and everything. So glad glad you could make it. Um, let's see. Anglican uh, aesthetics. Uh, oh, I skipped one. Hold on. This is a really bad argument, Tyler. I'm a Calvinist too, but I don't think this argument works. If God set the world up in this way, it would make free choices a farce. Uh, I don't think so, um, because here, if, if we are compatibilists, um, we believe that God determines uh, our free choices. So, so it's a meaningful sentence for me to say, and I'm and I ripped this off from Guillaume Bignon. This is not my analogy. I'm not going to take credit for this. I'm going to give credit where credit due. But the sentence where I say uh, God determined me to freely drop my pen is a meaningful sentence. 
<laughs> God, God determined it and I freely did it. And so uh, I don't think uh, that, that God setting up that way uh, would make free choices a farce. I would say that that type of that type of response, uh, most likely I would have to hash it out and ask a bunch of questions. Um, but that that type of response likely is um, of the variety of the of kind of begging the question of libertarian incompatibilism, where if something is determined, then it can't be free or freedom is a farce or it's fake or you're really a robot and all that kind of stuff. Um, that those are those are precisely kind of those question begging assumptions that I talked about in my first uh, point. Uh, and by the way, I, I've pointed this out a lot of times that um, and, and I kind of brought this up um, that I think that any any adequate understanding of, of creation um, in a Christian worldview is going to be deterministic um, because God is the one, you, you know, if you, if you imagine all the possible worlds that God has created, every possible world is simply a set of true propositions, uh, propositions that will be true if God actualizes that world. God actualizes world W1, that is that set specific set of true propositions. God is the one that is determining which set of true propositions will be true. Now, it may be the case that the truth makers for those propositions within the actual world, the means by which those are brought about to be true, just are the, the free choices, the compatibilistically free choices uh, of, of, of those who are in the actual world. But, it, but that just then is the case that God is determining which true propositions will be actualized that is that is he is determining which propositions will be true in the actual world that he creates but some of those true propositions just are that i freely drop my pen in the actual world so um so I, I, again i just i just do not agree that that if god sets up the world in a deterministic manner that somehow um, that entails that our freedom is a farce or something along those lines um all right so moving on uh, if my brain shut down every time I chose to murder, say, then I'd never really understand the import of choosing murder. Well, sure you would. Um, if I, if I, if I intended, I, I knew, I knew in my heart what I was trying to do when I was trying to murder someone, I was going to try to end their life and take their life. And every time that stopped, um, you know, people could keep trying again. I mean, sinful people do lots of stupid things over and over and over again. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. Um, uh, I don't think it follows therefore that we wouldn't ever know the, the, the import of, of, of choosing murder. Um, so um, we, we may not we may not understand um, the, the, the sheer gravity of something like genocide, for example, because that would never be able to be actualized. Um, so we may not understand the sheer gravity of murder, um, but that doesn't follow that we then would not be able to understand um, what it was because we would have the concept and the intention in our heart that still makes us morally responsible. Remember, we would still be morally responsible. Jesus tells us that to, to lust in your heart is to commit adultery. You commit adultery in your heart. I don't need to actualize adultery in order to know and understand the import of what actualizing adultery would be. Um, so I just don't think that that is the case. Uh, let's see, what are some uh, sources by libertarians you would suggest for anybody wishing to do a fair study on libertarian uh, free will? Uh, honestly, I would send people over um, to something like the Oxford uh, uh, Companion to, uh, to Free Will. Um, it's probably going to be the, the widest variety of discussion on these things out right now. Um, and from there, if you're interested in following up on some of the footnotes and, and some of the sources, um, look at look at the, 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 the resources that are cited, the, the um, 
you know, the bibliography that's in that book, and you can get some good ideas there. Um, depending on when you read an article, you think a point's interesting, go and hunt down those sources and read those. Um, let's see. Could you explain the difference between the indirect cause defense theodicy found in Reformed theology and the libertarian free will theodicy? Would appreciate your thoughts. I'm not sure I know what the indirect cause defense theodicy uh, is. Uh, if if by that you mean um, that uh, that that God allows or or decrees certain evils as, as an indirect cause of some greater good or or some uh, greater evil avoidance, um, I, I'm not sure that that's unique to Reformed theology. I'm not sure it's even necessary to Reformed theology. Um, but uh, it, it, maybe you, if you're, if uh, Daniel, if you're still here, if you could uh, say yes, that's the defense you mean, or if you could try to type that out. Um, that would be uh, great. I'm, I'm coming up on an hour though, so I'm going to try to cut this off at right about an hour. So about eight minutes left. There's only a few comments left. Um, let's see. Anglican aesthetics again. I think the real value of the free will theodicy is part two to show that God isn't the source or cause of evil. Again, I don't think the free will theodicy gets you that. And again, if you push the free will theodicy too far, you may actually get uh, the opposite problem. You may get the problem of, well, God is upholding the freedom of the murderer, but not the freedom of the victim. If we're ignoring the difference between uh, freedom of choice and and the, uh, you know, the ability of outcome or something along those lines. So I don't think it actually gets you there. Um, plus, I mean, no compatibilist thinks that God is the author of evil. So I don't think you need a libertarian free will theodicy in order to get you to the concept that God is not the source of the cause of evil, because I don't think it is the case that God is the source or the cause uh, of evil. And I don't think that anyone who denies libertarian freedom, at least from kind of a uh, within the camp of Christians who are who are compatibilists, um, would ever say or affirm that God is the source or cause of evil, at least not in any meaningful sense, right? We might say that God is the cause of evil in the sense that God is the primary cause of all things, right? But but then again, I mean, are you are you going to accuse Aquinas of saying that God is the, the author of evil because Aquinas is going to say that God is the first mover, right? Or the primary cause or something along those lines? Uh, prob probably not. Um, so let's see... Um, uh, this one is, this one is, uh, from, uh, Anglican, but it's geared towards, uh, RC. The lifeguard has an intrinsic obligation, um, to, uh, to prevent that. And the person who is drowning may not even be doing it intentionally. Uh, I thought I was going to know the reference to that, uh, but I'm not quite sure. So sorry about that. Not quite sure. Um, Daniel, all right, you responded. So Clark talks of the indirect cause defense, for instance, in terms of God is the ultimate cause of the book, but he is not the author. I am to quote from frame books. Yeah. So that's what I, that's what I was getting at. Um, that, that it just, it just, it doesn't follow, um, from God being the one who determines whatsoever comes to pass to therefore, um, that God is somehow the, the, um, uh, the, the author of, of evil. Right, that that just doesn't seem to that doesn't seem to follow, and we would never accuse 
um, someone like like Aquinas in his in his uh, in his five ways uh, of of saying anything like that. Um, but yet, when when Reformed people say uh, that God has determined uh, He is the first cause, he, he has determined the truth value of what will be. Um, somehow that makes God the author. Well, no, because God has determined the truth value, but the truth uh, the, the truth maker in the actual world is the agent uh, who is freely making those choices uh, that they that they want to choose without coercion or force. So. Um, Hopefully, hopefully that uh, scratches you where where you itch. Um, all right, so with, with uh, I'll, I'll give it another uh, minute or here to uh, see if there's any other questions coming in. Again, I, I appreciate you all uh, tuning in and listening. If you haven't subscribed, uh, uh, press uh, the subscribe link below to get this and, and other comment, uh, other content that's coming out. I have some more content. Again, I'm I'm, I'm finally getting back to uh, doing some uh, critical reviews of John Loftus's uh, book, The Case Against Miracles. Um, hopefully, having some guests on that. Um, so that will be coming out, uh, and then I have some uh, debates uh, coming up, kind of uh, you know inner inner Christian uh, debates and guest appearances that are coming up that'll that'll pop up uh, in the um, in the playlist in the Tyler's guest appearances playlist. If you want to check those out, remember the YouTube channel here is dedicated to uh, apologetics and things in an apologetical nature, uh, things that are strictly in-house discussions between reformed theology and non-reformed theology. So some of these Calvinism questions, they're geared towards free will. And so it kind of fits these apologetics questions, but if it's something like limited, limited atonement or something like that, yeah, I'll put it in the guest appearances, but it's not going to be published on my channel. Um, but the audio of that will go on the podcast. The podcast is really geared towards those kind of in-house Christian debates, those, those debates and discuss discussions between uh, around reformed theology and non-reformed theology or, uh, things having to do with biblical studies and and, and so on and so forth. So uh, again, uh, well, we're right about uh, getting close to an hour. I don't see any other questions coming in. So thank you all so much uh, for joining. I, I appreciate you all. Uh, I, I love you all. And thank you so much um, for tuning in and listening in. I look forward to any discussions or, or comments. If you have any feedback, if you're a YouTuber making a video, feel free to, to tag me in it. And so I can see uh, and reply and then maybe reply uh, to your video, although I don't tend to like the reply, 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 reply. It ends up being, you know, 30 hours and, and we end up largely where we started. Uh, but I would love to know what responses uh, are out there. So uh, for those of you who are who are YouTubers or podcasters or, or writing articles or anything like that, um, definitely uh, let me know when that comes. Um, so again, keep thinking freely and I hope that you are freed indeed in Christ. Thank you again. Good night and God bless.